Okay, so I am actually going to start just in the interest of wrapping up at 5.30. There's always so much to cover. And so I do want to just warmly welcome those of you who have been able to join. But I am going to kickstart the session. So a warm welcome to you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Today we're looking at uh, number five, session number five, uh, in our Be Heard webinar series. Remember the idea here is just to high level uh, share with you some of what we cover in the broader Be Heard program in these one hour sessions intended to assist those of you who say, I really am mindful about the leader I want to show up as uh, and I can use the platform or the vehicle uh, of speaking to become an influential leader, somebody who's persuasive and who certainly makes some kind of impact. So for those who don't know, my name is Zoya Mabuta Muguritwa, and uh, I'm going to be with you for the better part of this hour, uh, focusing today on understanding audiences as well as your body speaking, so nonverbal cues uh, that can assist us to deliver our messages with power. Today's session uh, really moves us from that place where we're looking at the content that we've constructed to that place where we now say, how do we take this content and deliver it in ways that land with the audience as we intended to do so? So uh, just to kick us off in terms of our outcomes for today's session, I had promised uh, in the previous session that I would do a continuation of the storytelling activity we started. So I am going to I deliver on my promise and just start by going through that. So I'll wrap it up to say, how do we use storytelling within the context of business uh, using that hero's journey model I shared with us two weeks ago? And then, of course, we're going to look at delivery, which is all about today, uh, or at least all, all that we're focusing on, or predominantly what the session today is intended to focus on. So we're going to look at understanding the importance of delivery. We're going to look at tailoring our messages to suit the audience, so a little bit around our audiences. And then, of course, we're going to look at using nonverbal communication to drive a powerful point. Welcome, say to. So let me go uh, to that first one around storytelling. And I'm going to just, in fact, before I get to that one, actually, um, I had said I do want us to just share on the chat function um, how you have been able to apply the content we have covered up until this point. Uh, so sets, if there's anything on your side that you've been able to apply, please do give us that feedback. Now give us just a few minutes. I'd said 10 minutes. I don't think it'll be necessary. Um, and let's hear from you. Um, and what you uh, have done to apply real-time some of the concepts we've covered. Um, Setu says, I remember the bun. And maybe come off mute, Setu. Setu, you say you remember the bun. Our hamburger, is this our hamburger? <laughs> and so this is where we give you like, like lots of stars, right? To say, absolutely. I think key to that introduction, really setting the scene. Uh, you know, for you um, as you connect with your audiences so that you are memorable in your presentations. Um, and of course, at the end of it all, being able to challenge people with that powerful call to action. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm going to leave it there for now. Malzazi, feel free to also step in um, and contribute something on the chat function. I'm going to keep it moving for now. So colleagues, uh, you know, where we left off was uh, with the storytelling bit last time. So for those of you who joined that session, I'd really position this concept of storytelling and the importance of sharing our stories. And uh, I shared the hero's journey um, tool as something that could assist you to, to, to really plug your personal stories um, in. What we're going to do today is to look at the same hero's journey. So if you remember it, we went through the entire thing. I'm not going to rehash that again, but I am going to ask the question, how might we plug the hero's journey into our business story? So when we look at this hero's journey, we've spoken about how it's got the three phases, the departure, the initiation, and the return. And I've broken it down into what all of those elements mean. So when we plug this hero's journey into a business story, colleagues, what we're saying is that the hero becomes your business or your organization or your team, okay? So the hero in the story is the business itself. It's the team that you're speaking about. And then I'm going to ask you just to do a little activity now to assist you to really understand how you plug it back into the business. So uh, I want you to answer the following questions, okay? I want you to think about your team or your organization or your business. I want you to think about it, okay? 
And I want you to think about what, you know, what's the story of your business or your team or your organization. And what I mean by that is, you know, what are you trying to achieve as a business, as a team, as an organization? What are you trying to achieve? What's the story that you could tell me? And I just want you to record that for yourself. So you're thinking about a team that you work in or that you're part of or that you're leading. What is it that that team is trying to achieve? The follow-on question is, can you think of an obstacle that the team um, in trying to achieve that particular goal has faced in the past? Is there an obstacle in the past that the team faced in trying to accomplish that which they set out to accomplish? And then, of course, the final question that I want to put forward is, how did your team, your business, your organization overcome the obstacle? That's the third one. And so when we look at this concept of the hero's journey, we're saying that in telling the story of your business, you're taking your listeners or your audience on the journey, the story you know, of, of, of the business, where we started, what we wanted to achieve, what we set out to become the obstacles we encountered along the way and the ways in which we were able to overcome those obstacles. That's what you're doing when you're sharing stories from the perspective of the business. Now, let me tell you why this particular template works. It works because it doesn't give us only the good parts of the story. Typically, when you know we want to share stories, we want to talk to those mountaintop moments, those wonderful things that we're able to achieve. And yet the power of stories to connect us has to do with the willingness to go into those places where we weren't doing so well, where we were going through challenges and wrestling with obstacles. And then, of course, where the connection happens is where we're able to share with our audiences, our listeners, how we overcame the obstacle. That's telling a full story, a well-rounded story. And that's certainly much more interesting than a story where we're just talking about our successes. People are curious to find out how did you achieve the success? What happened when obstacles were placed in your way? If you think about a movie, a book you've read, etc., part of the intrigue. So, so somebody earlier today was sharing that Game of Thrones uh, is a story that, you know, that comes to mind for them when they think of a story. And then another person said to me, when I think of a story, I think of the three little pigs. I can take these questions I've just asked you and plug them into every single kind of story. And all stories follow this exact same template. And so the hero's journey is about saying, you know, uh, how did your business, what's, what's the story of your team? What are they trying to achieve? Their team is the hero. And what were some of the obstacles that your team as the hero, your business as the hero um, had to navigate and how did they overcome uh, those obstacles that they, they had to navigate? People will connect with this because it's a full story. It's not a half story. It's not a story that sounds too good to be true. And they connect with it. Why? Because we learn from your story. We can learn something from how you navigated those difficult parts. So uh, referencing again back to Game of Thrones and Three Little Pigs, all of those stories had like a, you know, this is how we were able to overcome the obstacle. All of us were curious to say, I wonder how the hero is going to address the issue. Okay, I'm a little bit obsessed with Money Heist, and it's recently, uh, we've got another season that's come through. And of course, there, the protagonist, the hero, is Professor. And uh, we follow the journey of the mastermind that is a Professor. And we're constantly holding on to you as they navigate all of these obstacles in the bank, carrying out this heist where they had initially committed to not killing anybody. Um, you know, they wanted to have a heist where there was no... Uh, no violence. And then all of these obstacles presented themselves. How is the professor going to navigate all of these? That's what keeps us hooked to the story, keeps us coming back, because we know we want to learn uh, something from it. And so that's what I want to say. So plug it back into, the, into your business by centering your business as the hero uh, who's got some kind of uh, objective, some kind of goal they want to, to attain or to achieve, and then navigating the obstacles in their way and, of course, sharing how you were able to overcome those. Now I ask the question, how do we plug the same hero's journey into our client or, you know, our client story? 
Um, so this is where we're now talking to our clients and our customers. And I'll ask you the question, just thinking to this model, who do you think the hero is in the story of my business and my customers? Who's the hero in the story of my business and my customers or my clients? And maybe just you can use the chat or you can unmute yourself. Okay, so Maltazi, thank you for taking a stab at that. So let's actually use a practical example, right? So we have a Zoya uh, from Zoya Speaks. Uh, who says, I want to assist people to own the power of their voice, to become confident presenters and to really stand, uh, you know, firm in their leadership, right? Then in comes Malitzatzi and Malitzatzi says, hey, I have just been promoted in my business or in my company. I've just gotten a promotion. And in fact, this role comes with a necessity for me to present every second week. I hate presentations, Okay. So I've been promoted. I hate presentations. You know, I, I need to find a way to overcome this obstacle. So if we think about it, it's Malitzazi who comes to me who says, I have just been booted out of the comfort zone. That's where the departure is in the hero's journey. So she was sitting in the comfort zone. Something happens to boot her out of the comfort zone. And in this instance, it was her promotion. She's now gotten a promotion booted from a very safe, comfortable, known world or ordinary world into a world that is unknown. This is where we say she crosses the threshold and goes into that initiation space. But I said in order for her to cross that threshold, to move from departure to initiation, she needs somebody who can be some kind of mentor. And so here comes Zoya from Zoya Speaks who says, Malitzazi, do not worry. I'm going to step in and I will play the role of mentoring, coaching, assisting you to navigate the challenges that you're going to be confronted with in this unknown world. And so the hero, Malitzazi, is not Zoya. What Zoya does is to make Malitzazi realize that she's the hero, but Zoya has the tools to assist Malitzazi to navigate that unknown space. So Malitzazi needs to deliver on the objective that comes with her promotion to now do more presentations. I step in and I say, I am going to assist you, Malitzazi, to navigate the obstacles on your hero's journey because I want you to emerge out of that transformed. I want you to make the return and, you know, to, to the ordinary world and something needs to have shifted. This is where you come in, colleagues, with your strategy. This is where you come in, uh, you know, with your service, with your product. But what you're going to do for your clients is to make them the hero of the story. I always love to use the COVID example and I say, you know, the COVID pandemic has been so critical in terms of, uh, you know, changing things, turning things upside down for everybody. All businesses are navigating, you know, how to respond to COVID. Many of us from a leadership development perspective have been able to step into the gap and to say to organizations, listen, this is what you're dealing with. You've just moved from a predictable, known, ordinary world into an unpredictable world. And if you're needing a little bit of guidance and assistance, we can help you in this way. We can help you with your high-performing teams or to assist you to consider how do our teams still perform as they're moving through unknown territory. And so we're not the heroes. Um, we're simply there as the guides on the side. You've got to make your client the hero and you step in and you say, this is how I will assist you to overcome the obstacles so that you can uh, come out and return to the ordinary world, uh, uh, you know, a different business, a different team, etc. I hope that's just assisted in terms of clarity around how to apply this tool, both at a personal individual level as you're telling your own stories and by extension into your teams and then further extension into how you can then win customers and clients over using the power of storytelling. So I do want to move to the, to the all important, uh, you know, focus of today's session, which is all about delivery. Okay. So uh, I like to liken delivery to, uh, you know, this, this, this beautiful present that you've put uh, together uh, for this, the people that you are presenting to. 
when we're talking delivery colleagues, we're saying you've got to be mindful to pay attention to three things. And here I've said you're paying attention to your audience, you're paying attention to yourself as the presenter, and you're paying attention to the tools that are going to enable you to deliver the message with impact. So those are the three things I want us to be mindful of, and we'll unpack all of those with the exception of tools uh, for today's session. Let's go to audiences, right? And that's where I really want to start. And I'm going to start here by telling a short story. Um, and this short story really is about, I remember I attended the launch of Melinda Gates's book. I think her book is titled A Moment of Lift. And I'd gone to some venue here in Johannesburg to attend uh, her launch. And she was being interviewed by Reddy. Uh, Reddy Direco, I think her full name is uh, the journalist, well-known journalist. And what was interesting was that Reddy then greeted the crowd, um, really set the scene for what was to come. Uh, I remember sitting there and just looking at Melinda's hair. Um, she had really gorgeous looking hair. Um, and I thought this is what it must look like to have like billionaire hair. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I remember just she was sitting there looking quite regal. Um, and just looking very rich, colleagues. I don't know how else to explain it. And I think I was curious about what does someone who has that much money look like? Anyway, uh, to cut a long story short, uh, Reddy does the introductions to everybody. Um, and then she hands over to Melinda. And when she hands over to Melinda, colleagues, something interesting happened. Melinda launches straight into a conversation about her book, telling us about Bill Gates, her husband, uh, you know, how they had traversed the entire planet, uh, <laughs> the entire, um, you know, uh, countries, Africa, uh, all over the world, traveling, trying to get all of these initiatives um, going. And there was something that she didn't do that caused her to disconnect from the audiences. Now, in Africa, I'm hoping you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. There was something Melinda did not do that caused a disconnection to happen with the audience. We were all sitting waiting for it to happen. What didn't Melinda do? <laughs> Mutari says, greet. Setu says, greet. Melissa says, greet. Oh, she looked rich, Melissa. Tonga. She looked just. <laughs> anyway, so, so this was the thing that Melinda Gates took to the platform and she didn't acknowledge the members of her audience. And of course, we're an African audience. We don't do things without greeting. When you haven't greeted us, we're still feeling like you have not seen us. And there's that wonderful, uh, you know, I always use the Zulu word, Saubona, which is all about kind of how when I say hello to you, I literally am saying, I see you, I acknowledge you. And in acknowledging you, you come into existence for me, uh, you know, in my world. Um, and I hopefully come into existence uh, for you in your world. So she missed that pivotal step. And of course, thank God, Reddy was there moderating the conversation. She was able to steer it all right back. And so our audiences are critical. And we have to make sure that we understand who our audiences are. We understand how to connect with our audiences. Okay. So a couple of things for us to consider, colleagues, is who is in the audience? So who are the members of your audience? You have to understand, you know, who are the people that I'm speaking to? And then, of course, take it a step further to say, how best do my audiences consume information? Some people consume information very visually, and so you'd need to have some kind of aid and have, uh, you know, slides potentially. Um, some people consume information verbally. That's their preference. They hear better than what they see. And so mindfulness around how does this audience consume information? Um, some people can take information in, in, in bite sizes. Other people can listen to long lectures. Uh, and of course, those people are being reduced by the minute. Uh, many people are struggling uh, to take in, you know, information that is uh, long. They can't take information over an extended period of time. And then, of course, what's the best way for me to connect with the audience in order for me to be able to relay the message? So hugely critical, um, thinking through to who your audiences are, thinking through to how best they consume information. And one of the things I say, colleagues, is, you know, if we're thinking about our audiences and all of that, we have to do a little bit of background work. This is hugely important. If you're going to be speaking to an audience, particularly unfamiliar audiences, you must take the responsibility of doing the background work to understand, you know, what backgrounds do they come from? It's important to understand the demographics. It's 
important to understand things like uh, generational differences. You'd be surprised at how, uh, you know, Gen Z's take in information relative to an audience that's a little bit older. Okay, so really be mindful. What are some of those diversities in my audience that I need to be mindful of? Are there gender barriers? Do I need to be sensitive to, you know, uh, 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 um, demographics? Do I need to be sensitive to location? Um, like I said in the beginning in my intro, um, an African audience will appreciate uh, a greeting. But if you're in Asia, you know, something else might apply. So research, that's the best way to find out. Research who your audience is. Spend time investing in understanding what their interests are. You will remember a couple of weeks back, we spoke to this concept of framing for common ground. And I said your ability to persuade and to connect with your audiences is going to hinge on your willingness to frame for common ground. What is it that interests these people who I'm going to be connecting with? And how can I constantly bring it back to what connects with them, what interests them? So really important today. Uh, feel free to pop any questions that come up as you think to real-time experiences uh, with some of your audiences. One of the things I say, and I get asked quite often about presenting to executive audiences, people are so intimidated by executive audiences, right? They say to me, oh, I know my story. I've prepared. I've done everything I need to do. Then I step into the room and something happens when I am confronted with power and rank. I want to first maybe just uh, acknowledge that power and rank can do that to us. It does it to most of us, right? But that's because we center the power and the rank. We take our focus and we focus our energy and we focus everything on the title that the person is carrying. I'm reminded of uh, a, a, a talk I delivered way back in 2012. And I was on the program due to speak after a certain professor so-and-so. Um, I don't remember. In fact, he wasn't a professor. He was a doctor so-and-so. And I remembered looking at the the program and seeing, you know, little old me <laughs> speaking after this, this, this doctor person. And I was so overwhelmed uh, by their title and felt like, you, who am I to come and speak after this doctor so-and-so? And it was so interesting because, you know, at least I could watch the presentation that Dr. So-and-so was delivering. It was the most boring, most uninspiring presentation I had ever seen. And I'm not exaggerating. Uh, people did not connect with anything he said. He literally just read off of a pile of complicated slides no one could make sense of. Uh, and, you know, I realized at that moment that I didn't need to center my focus on this, this title that he had. Um, instead, I needed to turn my focus back on what I define or what I call as your USP. Now, USP in marketing terms, um, I think is your unique selling point or whatever the case might be. But within the context of this program, I say that you have a unique stage proposition. You bring something unique to the stage. Okay, so you have a USP. Turn your energy around and say, what is it that I am bringing to this event, to this platform, to this engagement? Okay, I'm not going to center that title. If I con concentrate on the value I bring, all of a sudden, the dynamic starts to shift quite powerfully. And this is the advice I gave to a gentleman who actually said to me, he really battles with this. You know, I step into a room, the CEO is there, the exco team is there, and I am just completely, uh, you know, I go into a state of bewilderment. I'm totally um, overwhelmed and intimidated. And I said to him, just refocus on why you are there in the first place. Refocus on the value that you're bringing to that place in the first place. And of course, we know that saying that goes where your energy goes or where your focus goes, rather, energy will grow. So be mindful just as a response to when you're intimidated uh, by the titles that some senior members hold. Colleagues, this is very different to the experience you will have where a senior person then does deliberately step in uh, to, you know, to stamp their seniority. We've seen this. It's called corporate politics. That's the name of the game. So, yes, this is notwithstanding that there are instances where people are quite deliberate to sabotage your efforts. Um, and that's a different conversation altogether. But really to say, if you step in mindful of the value that you're bringing and you focus your energy on that, 
um, you know, it can assist us to deal with the complexities that can come with that power and rank dynamic um, that has us feeling, you know, nervous, stressed out, etc. So bring it back to your USP. I'm going to give you an opportunity in the next couple of minutes for us to work through what you think your unique stage proposition is. Okay. And then, of course, I say one of the other things that's critically important is this concept of getting to the point. I think with executives, what I've come to appreciate is that time is of the essence. And so we looked at that mental pyramid principle, and I said it would be useful to apply that mental concept in, in, in those meetings where you need to position the concept high level first and then break it down into its different components versus to build up, you know, to building up the argument. So uh, the mental pyramid principle, if you remember, says you lead with what the thing is. What is the main thing that we're wanting to talk about immediately from the get-go? And then to say, how did we get there? And to break it down, uh, you know, that, that, that top-down communication approach. And so your planning, you would have done bottom-up, if you remember, where I said your bottom-up planning, but your top-down in terms of how you communicate, starting with that critical or central idea, and then moving down into its smaller parts. Now, the executive will appreciate if you use that approach. Why? Because time is money, and time is the one thing most executives battle with. So get straight to the point. This is such a critical one in terms of presenting to those executive audiences. Colleagues, feel free to share your inputs. So Peter says, uh, and so worth remembering that the people in the room, regardless of who they are, are there to listen to you. Absolutely, absolutely. Regardless of who they are, they've given you, uh, you know, their time. They don't have to do it, but they've chosen to give you their time to say, I am here to listen to you. Love that contribution, Peter. Thank you so much. And then, of course, I come to you um, and I say, you know, we've looked at the audience. You've done a little bit of research around who your audience is. Uh, you are able to frame for common ground because you understand their interest. You know exactly who's going to be in the room with you. You've contacted the organizers. All of that stuff is done. Now I'm going to come to you. Now, you might be curiously asking the question, why did I start with audiences versus you? And I think for me, it is just to say that I value audiences. Peter's point earlier reinforces the fact that people have decided that they want to come listen to you, colleagues. I don't take my audiences for granted at all. And I want to stress this. Don't take the time investment, the money or the financial investment people will make to give you. Okay? Um, I really treat your audiences as incredibly sacred, and I started with them because they are important. These presentations don't happen um, outside of the presence of these audiences. So uh, we revere the people who sit in our audience. Okay. So now I come to you, and I say you because you are the presenter. And so, colleagues, I'm going to ask that maybe we start with defining or writing what that USP is. And I'm going to ask you to use the chat function here. Okay. And I want you to write a list of those qualities that you think uh, contribute to your unique stage, uh, you know, proposition. What do you think you bring to the platform? And you can reference what people have given you as feedback. Think back to what people have told you um, in the past, after presentations. What do you think that thing is? And I'm going to ask you to share up to three qualities that you think you bring. Uh, to the platform that contribute to this thing called your USP. Um, it can be informed by what others have told you or uh, just what you know about yourself. And while you think of that, um, I often get the feedback about my energy. So whenever I present, people always come back to me to say, your, your energy is just there's something about your energy. Uh, or if I'm delivering face-to-face, -face, I often get told, you've got such presence. <laughs> so this is some of the feedback that I often get. Um, and so I have built it into my USP. I'm deliberate to bring a certain kind of energy. I'm deliberate about how I hold the space uh, because now I've been advised that I have this incredible presence when I walk into spaces, when I move and talk in spaces, etc. I've also been told that I have subject matter knowledge. You know, you, we get a sense that you're somebody who knows what they're talking about. And the, I think the last one is people say, you know, you made me think. You really got me thinking there. Um, and so I have consolidated some of that feedback into what I think then becomes what I bring with uniqueness um, onto the platforms. 
a dynamic energy, a, a, an understanding of the subject I wish to present on, an ability to get people to think. Um, and of course, what was the last one? Um, that beautiful presence uh, that was given to me as, as feedback as well. So just let's listen to what you have to say. Okay, I love it. So Peter says, uh, empathy, passion for the topic, connectivity, my ability to connect the dots. I love that. Absolutely. And so Peter, to say to you that, you know, from this point onwards, because you're quite clear about those things that you bring, um, then bring it, right? Bring it every single time. Because this is what you want people to be able to say as they reflect on what differentiates Peter from one, you know, from the previous speaker, from another person who presented. Um, so we need to experience the fullness of that every single time you're given or afforded an opportunity to take to the platform. Bring that empathy, uh, passion uh, for your topic, and of course, that ability to connect the dots. I love that. Melissa, I see you contributed something. Let's just have a look. Uh, you say you presented to an Exco team of a potential client, more nervous than usual. Thank God it was virtual, and that I remembered they looked to me for my for information regarding my field. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, Mutari says good storytelling skills and the ability to give a different perspective. And Mutari, to challenge you to say, you know, uh, within the context of whatever work you're doing, um, how can you continue to be that person who's going to bring a difference in perspective? How will you uh, get your audiences to feel as though Umutari always, uh, you know, has us uh, look at things in a different way? Uh, be deliberate about the things that you're doing, uh, you know, to use your USP for its maximum impact and effect. For some people, it's humor. It's this natural ability to make people laugh. Um, this is how I met my husband. When he is in a group of people, um, as serious as he looks <laughs> generally on a day-to-day -day basis, put him in a group of, of people, uh, particularly his close circle of friends. And he is the absolute joker. He's so good at storytelling, but in a humorous way. Everyone zooms in on him um, and he tells the story and he's animated um, and everybody around him is laughing. Um, and I found that incredibly attractive, uh, you know, and so and so is it humor, um, you know, that that makes you have something unique that you bring. Um, Melissa says, I've been told I can teach very well. Absolutely. Um, and so, colleagues, a lot of it will be the feedback that you've been given by people as well. Some of it might just be what you know to be true about who you are. But it's important that you have a very clear sense of what you bring. Uh, because then you can be deliberate. You can do this thing of being intentional about ensuring that when I come to the platform, this is what I want to, to you know, to be remembered for. I want people to have a particular experience when I am presenting because this is what I do well. Okay. So we've just done this here where I said, you know, you've got to define your USP. And I said, write a list of those qualities. And I think we've just done that. So we move over to this one where I say that you've also got to be mindful of a couple of things. So if we're speaking to you, colleagues, we're also now saying that your body speaks body language. This is what I want to talk to coming up next. OK, so your body speaks the power of body language. And I'm going to look at it from the perspective of, you know, presenting on these virtual platforms, but also some of the online interactions. I mean, sorry, the offline, the face to face um, interactions we've had. And I think it'll be about a dance moving between, uh, you know, the different ways of presenting. I appreciate that more and more we're presenting on these virtual platforms. And so we do need to be mindful um, about how body language translates even on these platforms. And so maybe the first thing, um, you know, uh, and maybe let me go back a slide. The first thing I want you to quickly do now is an audit. Just do a quick audit of your body language right now. And I want you to just fill out in the chat. In fact, let me let's let's have a conversation. So uh, how are you sitting at the moment? Are you crossed arms, crossed legs? Are you open arms, open legs? Oh, no, that doesn't sound right. Um, are your legs uncrossed? <laughs> um, but just really become mindful of kind of how you're sitting. Are you sitting upright or are you slouched, etc., etc. Let's do a quick audit of our bodies, and I'm going to go through every single person. So let's start with you. Uh, let's start with Melissa. Uh, what, what, what are you doing? Okay, so you're sitting upright. Your legs crossed, uncrossed. 
Okay, so uncrossed legs. Okay. Okay, great. Thanks, Melissa. Let's go to Peter. Okay. <laughs> I'm happy you had the mindfulness to change what you were doing. <laughs> okay, thank you, Setu. Okay. <laughs> you are here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. So we just did a little bit of a body audit, and this is not my own work. This is actually the work of, I think she's a social scientist. Um, these Americans have interesting terms. Uh, so this is the work of Amy Cuddy. And Amy Cuddy um, has become renowned, uh, you know, in terms of kind of the body language conversation. Uh, there's a wonderful TED talk by her, um, and I will include that as usual. Um, you know, in, 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 in what we send you post uh, the session. But basically what Amy Cuddy did was in that TED Talk, she was able to uh, give us a language for this open or closed body language. And she spoke to the concept of high power pose and low power posing. Okay. Low power poses are those poses we assume that close us off, that can disconnect us from people. This is based on some of the research that she has done. So for example, arms crossed over chest when presenting to people, um, you know, could come across a particular way. Often it sends the message that I'm quite closed off. I am protecting something. Whenever we pull our hands towards our bodies, either in an embrace or in an arms crossed, it almost feels like we're protecting or defending something. So uh, sitting with hands folded in the lap, uh, so in the lap, uh, that first picture there, that lower power pose, one arm across the body in a self-hug. Um, so some of these um, stances, which can really seem like, uh, you know, they're, 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 they're low power. Um, you're shrinking, you're making yourself smaller. That's why we call them low power, because they look like you are curling into yourself, making yourself smaller. And then, of course, that last one around hunching. And so the most important thing we need to do is actually to be mindful you know, do an audit from time to time. Audit yourself when you're going to be stepping and engaging with people. I realize that part of why people say I have power presence or I have presence is because I am mindful when I step into a room. I come in and I, I fill the room. I'm open. I open myself up. And already that exudes a certain aura. It communicates a certain confidence. Now, I'm not talking about walking into a room, right? And it's chest puffed out. Okay, and you're sending a message of, ha, ha, ha. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I'm talking about kind of a natural openness, uh, a groundedness almost, um, in who you are and the value that you have to bring. So we look at the high power poses, uh, contrasting that from kind of that closed up body language to body language that's a little bit more open. Uh, so standing white stance. I often say stand shoulder width apart. Uh, some of us are standing up and we're presenting, we have our feet too close, we're uncomfortable. Then we start to do funny things. We're rocking uh, and doing all sorts of strange things. So stand shoulder width apart. It's a nice standing wide stance, um, communicating some confidence as well. Arms raised in a V, we call this the victory pose. And in fact, it's so interesting. Uh, they did a little bit of research with a group of, uh, I think it was athletes, but blind athletes. And don't ask me how. Uh, but blind athletes were running some kind of race or performing in some kind of sporting activity. And what they noted with interest was that at the end of that activity or at the end of that race, the people who had completed and won, those who had come first, second, third, without even, you know, being prompted, these people are people who've never seen before, assumed this. This is the victory pose. Right? They went into a this stance 
when we're celebrating, when we have achieved something, even unconsciously, our body will just immediately go into that kind of celebratory, um, you know, very happy, we're open, all-encompassing. So that's the victory pose. Um, the hands on hips can be quite intimidating. Um, so sort of very upright, but hands on hips. Um, I sometimes put my hands on my hips when I'm reprimanding the two little naughty girls back at home. Um, and that can convey a sense of authority. Sometimes, and this one is not, not very sort of typical amongst women, um, it, it does tend to be something men like to do, and particularly men I mean, in, in very sort of high, high positions. Uh, those arms crossed behind the head, whether they're sitting or standing, and sometimes they'll sit back and they've got their arms crossed. But the reason it communicates power, colleagues, is because of that openness. There's a vulnerability there. I'm not closing myself off. I'm opening myself up. And that's why we say there's something very high-powered about that. I'm confident nothing's going to happen to me. I have nothing to hide. I have nothing to defend, nothing to protect. And so really to encourage you to develop mindfulness around your own body language. What are the things that you're doing? If you're presented with a situation that's particularly intimidating or nerve-wracking, do you find yourself shrinking? And how can you then self-correct that in the moment? Okay, and so I'm saying your body speaks and we use body language to make our presentations or speeches more effective. We use it for emphasis. We use it to keep the audience's attention. And in fact, we even use our body language to calm our nerves. So here I say often when I'm feeling a little bit like, yo, this task is daunting. This is an audience that's really stressing me out because these things are real. They happen. I will go and I'll do a little bit of power posing. I'm going to consciously open myself up. And in fact, Amy Cuddy says that we can use our body language to change the narrative or the story that's playing in our minds. Uh, so I'll afford you an opportunity to watch that TED Talk. We'll attach it as an accompaniment to this video. Okay, let's keep looking at this body language concept. Um, and I want to look at a couple of things here as well. I say, you know, part of body language is that eye contact or the leadership gaze. I love this idea. Part of body language are those gestures that we're using to aid the message. These are all aids to our messages. And of course, the third one is uh, that leadership stance. So when we're talking about uh, AKA, uh, uh, the leadership gaze, also known as eye contact, really here, uh, I'm saying that, you know, in a face-to-face -face environment, many people go, so Zoya, where do I look? And we've heard all kinds of things. People will say, no, uh, just imagine that the audience is naked. No, don't imagine people are naked. <laughs> or, uh, you know, as you're looking at them, uh, what do they say? Oh, they will say... Um, you know, look to one side of the room or look above the heads. That's the popular one. So look above the heads of the people that you're presenting to. All sorts of very interesting things. And then I came across, um, you know, something that I think for me connected, which is to say that what you want to do actually is you actually do want to look at somebody. So identify a person in your audience who you can physically look at, but don't hold that for longer than the duration of a point. So if I have a point to make, I look at a particular person as if I was sharing that point with them. And then after three to five seconds has passed, I move over and I connect with another person. I pause, move over, go to the other person and do that for the duration of the point. The reason we say three to five seconds, colleagues, is because two things can happen when you hold a gaze for too long. Okay? I want you to think about experiences where you felt like, hey, somebody's gazing too long. What do you think happens when we gaze too long? What could happen when we gaze too long? What could happen? You can come into plenary and just unmute. What could happen when we kind of hold the stare for a bit longer than what we should? Exactly. And so it can create the feeling of intimidation. I feel like I'm being singled out. This is hugely intimidating. Why am I being singled out? So that's one thing that can happen. It moves to that very uncomfortable place where now it feels like it's too intimidating. Yeah, well, next one. What else could happen? Hundred percent. So you could lose focus. Um, you could get distracted, etc. What else can happen? 
can you think of somebody who you love? Is it nice to look into the eyes of the person who you love? And I'm talking about a first love. I'm not talking about that marriage that's 100 years and now you don't look at each other anymore. <laughs> or that relationship, right? But, but think about it. Like when you first fell in love um, and, and you were looking at the person who you love, did you want to look at them more or did you want to look at them less? Mutari says more. Melissa's laughing. She can't deal. Mutari um, says, yeah, they'll either fall in love or think you're creepy. And that's exactly it, colleagues. Um, so sometimes when you hold it for too long, it starts to move into that intimate space. You know, hmm, could there be something going on here? Okay, like the movies. <laughs> I think I watch too many movies. <laughs> okay. And so you've got to be mindful that it isn't so long that it starts to either move into that discomfort of, is this an intimate connection happening here? Happening here? Or, you know, you know or, or does it feel like somebody's singling me out? I feel picked on. It's quite intimidating. And then, of course, I say, you know, for the online platforms, colleagues, focus on the black dot. Focus on the black dot. Your eye contact translates on these platforms as focusing on the black dot. This is on your camera, uh, you know, on your phone, I mean, uh, or on your laptop. Focus on the black dot. What I do sometimes, and in fact, I've done it even for today's session, is I've got little eyes, literal eyes, that I went and bought and I attach them, uh, you know, to, 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 to the sides. Uh, you know, of my camera on my uh, laptop, particularly when we started presenting in these ways and I wasn't too comfortable. So really important to focus on the black dot, uh, to connect and to build that uh, with our audiences. We know that eye contact is critically important in terms of building that connection with our audiences. And we're not going to renege on it just because we're presenting on these virtual platforms. So it is about just focus on the black dot uh, for all of the sessions that take place online. And of course, from time to time, you can move your head around, no stress, uh, but really to build that connection, you want to keep coming back um, to interacting by looking at that black dot. Don't ever present with your camera off. Never, ever, ever, ever. <laughs> right? If you're the presenter, please try as much as possible to find a space where you're going to have great connectivity. Because nothing will kill your presentation more than when you're speaking to people from nowhere. You're just coming from the darkness, right? And you're going to be speaking to people. I say, for me, it registers as, you know, going to a meeting with somebody and then they go under the boardroom table and they start to engage me from under the table. If I can see you, please come onto camera, engage people by switching your cameras on. Okay, in terms of the emphatic gestures, I say, for me, you know, the larger the audience, the bigger your gestures must be. If you're talking to audiences and say, too, I know you were presenting not so long ago. If your audience is intimate, it's small. You are not here, right? Because then it's overdone. It's exaggerated. But the minute you're talking to larger audiences, colleagues, you actually need to push yourself beyond that place of comfort and allow the gestures to be a little bit bigger, okay? And so gestures are critically important as well. Why? Because they aid, they reinforce your message. But we're saying that the movements, even as they get bigger, should appear natural and spontaneous. Now, here's the thing. If you're somebody who's not used to gesturing, you're not used to communicating in this way, what you want to do is you actually want to go to your presentation, sit with it and go, are there instances I can identify where I know that I want to include a gesture here? I want to actually open my arms out wide and say, I'm pleading with you, okay? I'm talking to you. I want to connect with you. So make deliberate, right, in your presentations, instances where you can then start to include gestures a little bit more. I say here your gestures and your facial expressions must match the message being conveyed. And this is hugely important. If I say one thing with my mouth and it does not connect to what I am doing physically, you will not believe what the audiences go for. They will choose what they see over what they hear. I'm going to repeat that. Our audiences will choose what they see over what they hear. So sometimes we'll tell people this is the thing, but it doesn't correlate with what we're doing with our physicality. They will go to what they see with their physicality. And this is where questions of credibility start to come in. Are you credible if there is a disconnect between what comes out of your mouth and what you're then doing physically? Critically important when you think about gestures.
Really here, what I want to emphasize um, is that on these online platforms, unfortunately, there's not much room to maneuver and to gesture. Um, that's just the nature of them. But I think from time to time, think about ways in which you can bring it in. Naturally, our gestures here are not big and outrageous. They are a little bit more contained because I am limited by a, a you know the dimensions of my screen. And then, of course, this one is just about stance, and it's really about posture. Um, you know, planting your, your feet shoulder with the part I spoke about it. I said, when you're speaking, particularly in face-to-face -face interactions, which we're hardly doing, pacing or walking as you're speaking is distracting. Unless you are a master presenter, then you know how to walk and talk. But as much as possible, walk across to wherever you need to go, then connect with your audience and speak. Otherwise, you're challenging their minds to do too many things at once. And so I say be deliberate if you're going to make movements on a platform. Love this quote that says your real power comes from keeping your good posture, not shifting weight and not being afraid to simply just stand. Even on these platforms, colleagues, I have delivered presentations where I've made the decision to stand. And so what I do there is I clear my space, I'm mindful of my space, and then I'm planted in the spot. There is power in actually just being rooted in the spot and not moving all over the place. Okay. And so just as we close out, maybe just an opportunity for you to reflect on the areas you need to improve uh, most in how you use your body language and maybe something you can commit to changing going forward. Uh, just to ask you to share that on the chat um, and then we'll close out uh, the session for today. So just share that on the chat and while you do that, just to say to you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure. I do try now to start on the hour. It's important um, because I'm mindful of just managing our time a little bit better. Next week, we build on all of this, uh, going further into the body communication. And then I also introduce you to how we can use our voices. And we'll do some fun activities there around how we can use the power um, of this instrument called our voice to be able to connect and to make an impact. Um, so once you've shared on the chat, colleagues, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. I look forward to you going back and applying some of the things that we speak to. And then, of course, connecting again next week. Thank you. Thank you. And enjoy the rest of your evening. Uh, if it is evening for you or the rest of your day, if it's the beginning of the day, whatever the case might be, we'll see you same time next week. And then, of course, we will also be sending you this recorded webinar uh, alongside that Amy Cuddy talk I promised I would share with you. All good and, and thank you so much. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.